In this episode, we speak with Bamba John Bamba, who is an absolute delight. You might have seen him recently in Black Panther or The Good Place or seen him in his cameo in Suicide Squad. In this episode, we speak about Bamba's life as an immigrant growing up in the United States and how he got into acting and also him being a DACA recipient. Bamba provides us great information, leading with empathy, compassion, and vulnerability. Have a listen. Hey, while I have your attention, be sure to download this episode and leave a review. Follow me on Instagram. I'm at the Inclusive Screenwriter on Twitter as well. You can also follow me on my YouTube channel. Just search for, of course, the Inclusive Screenwriter, where you can get video of these episodes and closed captioning. And you can always find more information about me, Ashwini Prasad, the Inclusive Screenwriter at theinclusivescreenwriter.com. All right, go ahead and have a listen, folks. Bamba John is amazing. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. My guest today, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk to Bamba John. Bamba, how are you? I'm good, Ashwini. How are you? Oh, I am wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Um, My you know, I'm, oh, thank you. You know, I'm going to go ahead and introduce you just for like 10 seconds, but then I want you to introduce yourself and we're going to get into this rich, rich conversation. Bamba John, oh my goodness, let's see, uh, Black Panther, uh, <laughs> no big deal, you know, <laughs> you're only in one of the, forever. yes, the background. forever, I know, I love your background, for those of you in audio, Bamba John has the street scene, and has the Wakanda, Wakanda village uh, behind him, Bamba, gosh, yeah, Black Panther, uh, I saw your cameo in Suicide Squad, and, yeah. and The Good Place, uh, which yes. is fantastic. So, you know, for those of us who may not know you, go ahead and introduce yourself and we're going to jump right into this conversation. Okay, so uh, thank you for the wonderful introduction, Ashwini. Um, well, I'm Bamba John Bamba. I am originally from the Ivory Coast in West Africa. For those who don't know, it's right next to Ghana. And it's actually the number one producer of cocoa in the world. So another fun fact is it has the biggest church in the world. We have a basilica called Our Lady of Peace. It's all marble, gold-plated. I mean, it's fascinating. The world doesn't know about it yet, but I plan to talk about it as often as I can so that people know a little bit more about my little home country. So, um, Well, apparently it's a big home country. So I guess so, yeah. Big little home country, yeah. So let's see, I, I moved to the States with my parents when I was 10 years old, and we landed in the South Bronx. I only spoke uh, French, which was, you know, the language we speak in Ivory Coast. And uh, again, in the South Bronx, I was 10 years old. It, it, it was rough. You had to be tough to survive. I got into a lot of, a lot of trouble as a young man. And then my parents moved us to Richmond, Virginia, where I uh, continued middle school and high school. And that's where I fell in love with the craft of acting through theater. And then for college, I moved back to New York City to a drama school, a conservatory acting school. And yeah, when I graduated there, did a lot of 
a lot of off-Broadway uh, shows, independent films, and then landed Law and Order. And then that, then I made my way to LA and, you know, did a lot of commercials, a lot of TV shows and a few movies. So awesome. A little bit about my story. That's fantastic. Let's dig deep into that. So um, 10 years old, you're, Mm -hmm. you're taken to a completely different country, but at 10, you still know, right? You know, your friends, you know, your family, you you know, the land. And then you come into this new space. And like you said, you didn't understand the language. Tell me a little bit about that transition. Uh, Was there a time there where theater or acting influenced you in that time? Or was it more like, hey, you know, I just need to get through this day uh, because I'm the new kid. I don't speak the language and I'm trying to find my place here. The transition was was really rough because in Ivory Coast, I guess you would call us middle class, upper middle class. My uh, my uncle was the minister of finance. My dad was a banker and we were doing well, you know, and in a really good neighborhood. And then when we moved to the Bronx, uh, I mean, the Bronx is probably, at least at that time, one of the worst neighborhoods in the country. Even today, the worst school systems. So when, when I went to school, there wasn't a French bilingual class. So they mm-hmm. put me in a Spanish yeah. bilingual class and they connected me with another African student and to help me around during the day, but he would trick me the yeah. whole day. You know, hey, you know, something like I would ask him, hey, how do I ask the teacher? I want to go to the bathroom. He would say, yo, tell her, kiss my ass. And then I would oh, do it. No. And the whole class would make fun of me. Then I'm like, where's the bathroom? What to eat? And then eventually we got into a fight the first day of school. Okay. And that that's how things started for me. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very yeah. rough start. That it is rough. It was rough. Very, very rough start. My yeah, goodness. It was rough. But I'm sure a lot of immigrants feel the same way when they go to a new land with new rules that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. You know, kids are not the nicest. No, unfortunately not. But maybe maybe that's changing. That's that's changed this conversation. So, right. So you go from the South Bronx and then, you know, it seems like your father, I think you had the foresight to be like, oh, okay, right. let's uh, let's get into a better situation. Right. And then you end up moving down south. Yeah. Yeah. It, How was that? It, I mean, I, I honestly loved everything about Virginia because it represented everything you saw in movies, in American movies, the manicure lawns, the family with the dogs, the yellow school bus, oh, um, wow. <laughs> a structured school system, you know, uh-huh. programs in school, chess clubs. I started playing tennis and then, like I said, getting into theater and making friends. And for some reason, people there were like, wow, you speak French. That's so cool. And uh, I, I thought I became cool because I was I was uh, I was a little bit different. So it was a much better experience. I would say. Yeah, you know what's interesting too is I got into theater in high school as well, and mm. I absolutely loved it. I did not pursue it, which who knows? But hey, it's never too late. But for you, you not. did. You did. You did. did. So tell me an experience, you know, where where you were like, this is this is it. Like, you know, that feeling when you're on stage and the yeah, light hits yeah. you, you know, that feeling. Yeah, right. And yeah, you know, you yeah, were made yeah. for this. Right. 
do you have a moment like that when you were on stage in high school? Well, what's interesting is when I did theater, it was just a fun thing on the side. Mm -hmm. And I was new at the school and I was still trying to, you know, belong, fit in. And for some reason, uh, I think we were doing like Huckleberry Finn and I was playing like one of the right one of the <laughs> the narrators the, the, well we were all dressed up as if we were old and I was narrating the story mm. and telling the story and every line that I said the entire audience was just like bust out laughing like every single thing I did was so hilarious to everyone oh, and I was goodness. like whoa this is cool. <laughs> you know, I have this talent. And everyone was like, you're amazing. You can be a star. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm thinking I want to like be a pilot in the Air Force or airline pilot, something like that. Something right? with flying and traveling right. the world. And I, I really fought that, fought the acting thing until probably my senior year. And my drama teacher was like, you're going to be in this play and she would literally drag me to it (laughs) and my senior year I did Little Shop of Horrors and I was the dentist and oh wow I mean yeah it was like that moment yeah where (laughs) everything I, I could just feel that I had complete control of the audience and I was like you know what maybe I could do this and what sealed it was my father came that performance and that's the only one that he came to Mm -hmm. and he was looking around shocked himself like oh my god this kid might actually have talent (laughs) and when I saw my dad believe I was like well you know what here we go here we go I could probably do this that is such a great story you know I have something similar with a different ending I got one of the lead roles when Mm. I was in high school as well And it was really interesting because I turned it down. My drama teacher Mm. tried to talk me into it and I still ended up being a stagehand. And to this day, I don't have a, any idea of why I did that, but you know what, it is what it is. And I'm still entering this industry now. So definitely, you know, it's never too late, but I do think that it's, it's never is. I agree with that. And I think what's important for folks is that when you feel something and you like that moment, when you're on the, on stage, the lights are hitting you, you got the adrenaline, adrenaline running it. There's nothing like it. And when you have that feeling, wherever you are in whatever industry you are, that's big, but especially in our industry, when you feel it that young, there's something there. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it, it's interesting because it was, I guess, you know how sometimes like your brain as a human being, you could absorb languages before you turn 16 or, or I think 16 is the cutoff, like 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. I remember learning English, I don't know, in three to four months because I was just binge watching American TV, listening to hip hop and just trying right. to get the lingo. Right. But for me, it almost seemed like acting and being on stage was second nature and it was easy uh. until I became 16 and 17 and I was the dentist and it didn't come so easy anymore. And I actually 
had to do some work and, and, <laughs> and try to discover this character. And I think that's what made me like, see, wow, this isn't just like a game. This is a real yes. craft and respect yes. the craft and enjoy the process. Yeah. Exactly. And you choose to master your craft. Correct. So it takes a lifetime. Exactly. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. I am, I am eyeballs deep in that, but it's fun, right? Yes. You love it. Your dreams of a pilot did not happen. So you get through mm -hmm. high school, you see the, you see how the audience is vibing and reacting with you. I mean, gosh, like what a feeling when that happens. Right. So what happens when you head off into college? Let's get into a little in depth there and you know, how, how this manifested into being the person who's in Black Panther. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, in college, it, it, well, first of all, I didn't even know at that time there was like a school for actors where you can uh -huh. learn. So uh -huh. I found out, auditioned for a bunch of them in New York, got into got into one, and we studied the Meisner technique. So it okay. was Tell like, us more. yeah, it was like a two year program. The first year is mainly like theater style. Second year is all on camera. That first year was probably at least that first quarter was just so confusing to me. I was like, how am I repeating? Hello, 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 <laughs> hello, hello. How is that helping me? But eventually, uh, when you dig deeper into Meisner, um, for me, what connected was the moment before, the emotional preparation, and how you use your own real life experiences mm -hmm. to portray the character mm -hmm. and to fuel life into a character. And I, I had a lot of daddy issues, mm -hmm. let's say that, with my father yeah. growing up. And it really helped me access and express those emotions. And honestly, it made me uh, a more authentic and, and, and whole and grounded person because um, at least through the school, I had some tools to access and work through some of these emotions that I may have hidden away or I didn't want to address. So that was that 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 was the first year. And then the second year, you go into camera class and you're like, hello, 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 hello. And that doesn't really work well for camera. And you have to like bring everything in. And right. Yeah, that was the whole nother experience. You but know, I was I, glad to learn camera technique because that was important. Yes. Yes. And I rem I actually, you're giving me a flashback. I remember the first time I was put on camera in high school. And of mm. course, you know, as actors, you end up in a space where you are taught very early that you must record yourself and then see yourself afterwards. Right. And right. You, you will be critiqued by your peers and your teacher. Yep. I was yep. thinking about that last night and how horrible that is, but it is a process yeah. you must go through. I will also you say must. doing doing podcasts will also really help you <laughs> with any type <laughs> of process because you realize Indeed. how many your words and how you say right. them, your pauses, what you do to, to say like, um, or like to fill up True. space, which when you are acting, yeah we only have so many takes, you know, and sure. there's only so much time. So when you're talking, how important it is to say those hellos, like you said, and how mm -hmm. important it is in terms of what you're trying to get across for that character in that moment. Correct. So, and, yes. and I mean, hearing your own voice, 
My goodness. I, I remember hearing my own voice and I was shocked. I guess because these days don't have these problems because they're always like this. You know, <laughs> they're always that, recording the themselves. You know what I mean? <laughs> posting themselves. So yeah, maybe they have an easier time on camera than we did. Yeah, yeah. I It's still a little gut-wrenching. And I know, I, again, I know I need to do it, but it is still gut-wrenching for me. But it's good you know, practice. It's yeah, and that, but it's good practice as folks that want to be on stage or on camera any of it, reading poetry online or doing an audiobook. It's so yeah. important. And that's why there's so yeah. many different yeah. methods that are developed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we got mm -hmm. this love. Obviously, it came really early in your life. You knew you were good yeah. at it. Then you learned that you needed to learn the craft, of course. Mm -hmm. So what happened after college? So after college, like I said, I did some off-Broadway productions mainly I got involved in this uh this theater group called uh the respect project and it was led by a Tony award winner his name is George Faison he's a choreographer and dancer he had a little theater in Harlem and I just saw it in backstage back in the day you used to pick up the backstage newspaper yep. and you know find <laughs> out where all the auditions are and that's what I did I went into the audition and it was basically a, a program for inner city youth. And we all went in there and through acting, dancing, singing, rapping, poetry, we would share some of our experiences like growing up with a father, without a father, gang violence, date rape, STDs, all the stuff that young people deal with. And we went into community colleges, we went into high schools, we went into juvenile centers and performed our play. And then afterwards, we would have like a workshop with the kids. So I, I learned pretty early the, the, the power of, um, of acting and, and our craft and how it could connect to, to people and help them, I don't know, see themselves a different way, help them see different options you know fantastic so. fantastic yeah and i remember being a part of those workshops i remember being oh. on the receiving end and then i oh, remember really? yeah and i remember in high school we actually had some elementary school kids and we did a performance for them and we did a little debrief with mm. them so that is fantastic Amazing. and you were you were doing it as a young adult and that is phenomenal Correct. that's absolutely phenomenal yeah I, I had a monologue where I talk about the relationship with my father and the first time I heard him say he loved me. Mm -hmm. And that monologue connected with the with, with the young people, the young men like nothing else. I mean, yeah. it, it, it was such a powerful thing. I actually developed it into a short film, which is which is on Vimeo and YouTube. You can check it out. It's called Papa. And uh, I wrote and directed it and produced it. And I actually have a screenplay based on, on that whole experience. So uh, you'll get to read it soon enough, hopefully. Perfect. Yeah. Cannot yeah. wait. And you touch on yeah. this and I, and I agree. It's that vulnerability, you know, to really come yeah. across. It's so important. And for me and my journey through this, my vulnerability has heightened. I, I've never been so vulnerable mm. in my life in being mm -hmm. able to express myself, be honest and speak in being standing and being and standing firm in my truth. And I agree mm. 
part of acting is definitely, well, one, I, no, I shouldn't say part of, one of the biggest things of acting is that ability sure. to do that because it allows you to, to really uh, be many characters because you are able Indeed. to tap into these different emotions. Um, you know, Indeed. and sometimes when the director, you know, when they're like, hey, let's go, we gotta go, you know, $100,000 right. a day on this stage, you need to be able to tap into all these different emotions yeah. in every scene. And, you know, because we shoot things out of order, you don't, right. you may not know, you have the script in front of you, but it's not like you're able to play off of the previous scene which exactly because you may have gone ahead and shot that the day before so and I exactly. also think about you know how important it is to be able to riff off of each other and play off of each other mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how Chemistry. amazing yes and how amazing it is when you have two people or three people or an ensemble and you're able to have that chemistry come out is right is amazing but it is mm -hmm. being able to have making sure each person is vulnerable and is in that same space so they can give you that energy to play off and I will say I am so impressed by people who do monologues and one person shows because yeah. gosh you are feeding off of yourself in that moment and you're feeding you're off everything. of the audience yeah you are yeah. everything and it's not like it's easy but for me it's easier when I have somebody to play off of. Yeah, me too. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. So we got you, you know, to being a young adult, you're definitely at this point, what, waist deep into acting. What do you into say is your, your biggest break so far? What has been your biggest break? Um, I mean, obviously Black Panther. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure. <laughs> I mean, um, look, look, I, I, I had always set my intention um, that I want to be the kind of actor who, who takes pride in his work and his work means something, not just, you know, in the bubble of a movie or even just the movie industry, but in the world as a whole, and especially for people who, who, have, who, who have African descent. For me, I've always known from the beginning that, you know, I, I, I don't have the luxury to just be an actor. Just an actor means like, you know, I'm just strictly an actor. I don't, I don't write, I don't create anything. I, I don't produce, I'm just direct, just act. So I, I started writing ever since those days in Harlem with, with the Respect Project, and I've never stopped. So to, to be a part of a film like Black Panther that was so impactful in changing the, all the stereotypes of what Africa is, yes. and especially bringing unity between Africans and African-Americans in, in such a a marvelous, futuristic, and powerful way. I was just blown away that I had the opportunity to just be in the movie and to work alongside, you know, all the great actors uh, that I got a chance to work with, especially, you know, my brother Chadwick Boseman, yes. God yes. bless his soul. Yeah. Um, yeah, and 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 yeah, when I found out this movie was being cast. I mean, all of us in Hollywood, all the black actors were yes. like, we want to be a part of we this. We got to be a and, part of this. 
Exactly. And, uh, you know, I put a poster up with Black Panther on it. I took karate classes and then the opportunity came and I got a chance to be in it. So I think it's important to set your intention and the kind of work you want to be a part of and, um, you know, do your part. And I think the opportunity most of the time comes and just just be ready. Fantastic. I do. I used to believe that, you know, it was a little bit of luck. I don't believe in that anymore. What I believe Mm. in is that when you are mastering your craft and you are ready, when those opportunities come, you're ready and you're ready to hit that stage. It's not luck. It's, you know, it favors, it favors the prepared. So Black Panther, we got to get into this, right? Um, I read somewhere where Anthony Mackie was saying how, you know, he has predominantly been in settings and productions where most of the people are white, whereas Mm -hmm. Black Panther was very different. Has your experience been the same where you've worked mainly with white folks or white passing or people who look white? And then when you got to Black Panther, it was like, wow, there's actually a lot more inclusivity and diversity on set than what I've had before. Let me see if I could break it down. Um, So I did Law and Order in 2006. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely majority white casting crew, I would say, Mm because Faith Murkison was there, Jesse Martin was there, and there are two mm. leads in the show, and they're Black. Yep. And it's Law and Order, so there's like, you know, the weekly thug that comes in, and that oh kind of played that, that kind yeah. of story. So yeah. um, if I, if, 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 for me, it was more uh, the stereotypical characters uh, were prevalent in my career, especially mm-hmm. at the beginning, stereotypical Blacks, stereotypical gangsters. And then 9-11 happened, and then I started playing more like terrorists, rebel leaders, and then Obama became president, and all of a sudden I was seeing, you know, more doctors and more professionals, and then Black Panther happened, and now it's just like the world is open to us. So there we go. The power, right? The power of storytelling, the power Mm -hmm. of that imagery. And you just gave us, you know, in such a short amount of time, a wonderful synopsis of how impactful media is and how it's so important that from the very start with these scripts, and I've read some of your scripts. So making Mm -hmm. sure that these scripts are inclusive and that they are representative so that we have something to start with. Because if we don't have Indeed. these different characters for people to play, then if they're trying to get work, be a working actor, they are kind of almost regulated to roles that are very stereotypical and not written by people within a community. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the challenge is as an actor who's coming up, you want to work, you want to build your resume, but at the, at the same time, at what cost? Early on, um, I I, I was in love with Sidney Poitier and Mm. his work and his activism and just the kind of human and gentleman he was uh, and what he was able to achieve in the industry that in my mind, I was like, I, I'm like, 
I want to be a Sydney Poitier type of leading man. So the, the kind of roles that I played, especially now that I have a little bit more of a choice, uh, I've been a lot more selective to make sure that these characters have redeemable qualities to, to just kind of bring some kind of nuance so that, you know, when my daughter sees me play play a character, it's like, it's not just a guy that's beat down and beat down and beat down and beat down till he dies. Like, I want to see some kind of, exactly. Yes. I want to see like some kind of fight, um, you know, the 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 terrorist i'm not interested in playing those characters anymore um uh and yeah you just you, you just want to have work that you can be proud of work that can stand on its own and and again it's 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 up to us to take our our career and destiny in our own hands by creating the work we want to see so Yes, and making sure there's opportunity for folks, because what you are saying about opportunity, I was on a recent uh, webinar, and there was a South Asian Indian man, and he, mm -hmm. he's an actor as well, and he was mm -hmm. saying the same thing, that he's not going to take the terrorist roles anymore, because for mm -hmm. far too long, those were really the only roles that he was being given, there. unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, yeah. no more, because he doesn't want to perpetuate these stereotypes. And he was also saying that, you know, with the casting, folks were telling Bro. him to go ahead and speak Hindi, even though it wasn't even Hindi, that the characters should be talking. But they were mm -hmm. like, just go ahead and play this terrorist, and then do the dialogue in Hindi, because who's really going to know? Well, I'm going to know because I'm going to be like, wait, this person is supposed to be from this part of the world and yet they're speaking this dialect. So yeah, the, yeah. The power of exactly like a Black Panther, the power of good characters. And I think what else I've done a master class on this. And I will say, I think mm. and I know is we connect with people and we connect with characters through empathy, right? vulnerability mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and if mm -hmm. we have static characters and it's shown over and over again given different ethnicities or skin colors or orientations right. we are right. just perpetuating harm about certain Indeed. groups Indeed. so definitely Indeed. that empathy and you can have an antagonist you can have somebody who's True. villainous but you should have True. a backstory and be able to show how they got here and how that, they became the Exactly. Yeah. And that builds connection mm -hmm. with that character versus just a, somebody who's out and it's all out to get people and they're only doing X, Y, Z, and we're seeing only one dimensionality. That's just unfair. Right. Indeed. Yeah. And, and, and it's important for people who are trying to write material that's inclusive to remember also the, there's a certain storyline we see on the news. Mm -hmm. of, I don't know, like, let's just say the Trump administration, since I work in the area of immigration rights, the Trump administration and, and, and how they're against immigrants and, and, and put kids in cages and all that. Like, we see that so much in the news that when we write our stories, it's important to not, to not tell the same story again. 
you know, kids in cages, us being deported, because we see that so much in the headlines that we end up dehumanizing ourselves by repeating that same storyline because we're showing that, hey, it's the only story we have. When in reality, there's just so much nuance. Yes, that happens, obviously, and the world knows it happens, but it's not up to us. I mean, it, it should, we shouldn't reinforce that dehumanizing storyline. And it's, you know? I love what you said. And it's so important that we have a variety of stories, not just one Correct. narrative, not the trauma exactly. narrative. It, why not exactly. be able to write a story, show success or write human stories and different people can be cast into it because it's about the characters and it's not about repeating the trauma over and over again. Now, I wanna be clear, exactly. I think there's total room, of course, for people who wanna tell mm -hmm. their stories that may be traumatic, but they need to be leading with, the, with their voices around the narrative. Yeah, yeah. I no, agree. I, I, wonderful. So I know that immigration is near and dear to your heart. So I do wanna to touch on it. So I think there is a very important revelation for folks who may not know you as well as they should, but you came out with a very important message uh, after Black yeah. Panther. Yes. So Black Panther, we had just finished Black Panther, shooting Black Panther, and it was, you know, I started doing the, um, the promotion before the opening and the Trump administration decided they wanted to terminate DACA. And I am a DACA recipient. And I've been able to live and build a career in this industry because of this, of, of, of DACA. And DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It's an executive order that Obama signed in 2008 to protect young people who came to this country with their parents and somehow ended up being undocumented. So it protects you from deportation and what you get is a social security card and a work authorization. So you, you basically pay $500 every two years, it's renewable. They do a, a, a very deep background check and then you're able to have DACA. So I've had DACA since the inception in 2012. I may have said it started in 2008, no. He's said he would do it in 2008, his first term, mm. he didn't, this is Obama, but the immigrant activist youth forced him uh, in 2012 and he signed an executive order. So correction, it started in 2012. So fast forward 2017, Black Panther's about to come out and he's saying he's gonna terminate DACA. Right. And at that point, my daughter must have been five months old, six months old. And this whole time I've been hiding the fact that I was undocumented and I was a DACA recipient. But when I saw this, I, I thought it was just a moment where I needed to use my voice and my platform and the opportunity that I have to add my voice to the fight. I had been seeing undocumented young people uh, get themselves arrested and fight for years for us to have DACA. And now this thing that I benefited so much from was about to be um, terminated. And, and I figured I would be a coward if I stayed um, fearful. And what example am I giving my daughter if in the time when you know you have to to rise to the occasion you should stay stay frozen in fear 
So um, by God's grace, I connected with a bunch of different organizations, um, specifically Define American, and it helped me with my my DACA announcement. And because Black Pan- because I was in Black Panther and Black Panther was going viral, I kind of my message went viral along with Black Panther. So if if you do the hashtags on all the social media, stand with Bamba. You can see all the interviews I had on on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, just to talk about DACA, to bring my story along with all the other stories of the young immigrants who are American in every way, except for these these papers, and through no choice of their own, ended up being undocumented. So, yeah. Choice of their own. We we won. <laughs> that guy still is in, still in effect. We went all the way to the Supreme Court and we won. So and you was, are here uh, and I am so happy and we need your talent. I mean, Bamba, you pretty much embody, no pressure, inclusivity, oh boy. inclusive storytelling. Now you are not the person, but I mean, gosh, <laughs> your story though, right? I don't want to put that. I'm joking. Yeah. I'm not going to put pressure like that. But look at no, your no, no, experiences, right? The inclusivity, I mean, yeah. inclusive storytelling, you are such an embodiment from growing up, finding acting, being here, and then pursuing it, giving back, and now using mm-hmm. your voice to help others and using the popularity because you are still right. a hashtag. You were just talking just a couple of weeks ago right. and being an advocate. And so you're still right. doing this work. And I I can't wait to see you in your next project, but this is what's so important with, I feel, you know, what I really want is people to know your story, to know uh, leaders and influencers in this industry we love, that you are out here, you exist, and many other people do. And these stories are important and rich, and you deserve to be able to tell the story Mm. and to be able to have an opportunity in this nutty world that we choose to venture into, you know, as a career. Indeed. But Indeed. we do it because we love it, right? And we find value. Indeed. Yes. It is yes. just uh, so amazing. I think as we're starting Thank to wrap you. up here, well, you're amazing, Bamba. As we start wrapping up, what is one thing, one advice, one thing that you would have wished you'd known early on in your career that we can have some folks that are starting off, whether that, and not age-wise, but just starting off, right? That you wish yeah, you had known. I wish I had known that in this industry, when people say, when you do an audition, especially for actors, and they're like, oh my God, we love you. Yes, we're going to call you. (laughs) Right. It doesn't always mean it's going to (laughs) happen. Like, just know that once you're done with this audition, you're done. They have no obligation to call you, and it's out of your control. So just letting it go is probably one of the most important advice I wish I had known at the beginning because it's such an emotional roller coaster just trying to make a living and trying to work as an actor that that added pressure of, oh, I auditioned for this and I'm waiting, waiting for it can, can just be like tormenting. So I encourage you or everyone who wants to get in this industry, especially if you're an actor auditioning for work, when you're done, those audition sides, just throw it in the garbage. Boom. If they call you, great. If Break. they don't, 
you move on to the next one. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. That that is good advice yeah. from a person who's been there. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so Bamba, how can our listeners connect with you? So I am on all of the social media outlets. I am on Twitter at Real Bamba John on Instagram, Bamba the Great, and um, on Facebook, Bamba John. And recently, thanks to Ashwini's onboarding on Clubhouse. Yay! <laughs> yes. Yes. We got to do a room here and we will do a debrief yes. on this podcast when it launches as well. That'd be a fun Indeed. room to have. That is fantastic, Bamba. Yes. Yes. Can't wait. Gosh, it's been a pleasure, my friend, talking to you from your journey. Oh, pleasure's been all mine. Oh my goodness, your journey, everything you're doing and how much value you're giving us. Thank you for being who you are and being the advocate and ally that you are. We need you and we appreciate you. I know I do. Um, oh, you know, my you. last question for you as we depart here, what is yes. one call to action for us to be inclusive in our lives? So I, I was actually thinking of talking about this with a friend of mine who works in homelessness and mm. she's very passionate about dealing or, or helping or trying to bring equity to people experiencing homelessness. One thing she has inspired me to do is to talk to um, people experiencing homelessness and to connect with them as human beings that they are. They just having a hard time or they're down on their luck. I mean, you know, all they want is to be seen. And even if you don't have money to give them, you can offer them a, hello, how are you doing today? How's your day? Or like she says, hey, are you getting your services? Hey, call this number. Like we, there, there are people out there who may not even know what is, what is available. So a way to be inclusive in our lives every day is to find out what's available for homeless people. And when you see them and run into them, you know, offer some, some positive energy and maybe even information that can help them out this situation. Always the advocate, 100%. And, you know, I would say we can take that to other parts of our lives too. Getting Indeed. to know people, knowing the situation. And that builds on that vulnerability and that empathy that we've been talking about. Indeed. Indeed. Bamba, my friend, thank you so much. You're an absolute gem. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Azwini, for having me. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Inclusivity, it's very important work. And even this, this, uh, this platform podcast that you have, more power to you. And I look forward to collaborating soon. I love it. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> All right, cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.